This episode of New Politics was released on the 13th of November, 2021, and produced on the land of the Wangal people. Welcome to the New Politics Podcast. In this episode, a former Prime Minister gives the current government a lesson on China and geopolitics, and we look at whether it's the role of governments to tell people what to do. I'm Eddie Djokovic, editor of New Politics. I'm David Lewis, soda water connoisseur. Thank you to all of our new Patreon subscribers and thank you for your continuing support. And if you would like to support our little venture, the details are available at our website, newpolitics.com.au, and it's a very good way to support independent journalism. China's been the focus of attention this week with the former Prime Minister Paul Keating addressing the National Press Club and providing a detailed analysis of the geopolitical issues of the day for Australia, mainly talking about the relationship with China and the Asia-Pacific region. And he's been out of office for 25 years and he's 77 years old, but he's still as sharp as a tack, and I think that he could easily give the current Prime Minister a good run for his money. The response by Paul Keating was actually quite a learned and sophisticated understanding of Australia's role in the world and emphasised some of the key points that he's been talking about for some time, that Australia has lost its place in the world. We're not happy to be in the region. We're still trying to find our security from Asia rather than in Asia. So here we had the Prime Minister uh, going back to Cornwall where... James Cook had left 245 years earlier and where Arthur Phillip and the First Fleet had left 233 years earlier. Here we are back there to find our security from Asia. I mean, the ignominy of it, the appalling ignominy of it. Look, the Chinese are in their rude phase, you know, they're, they're in the adolescent phase of their diplomacy. They've got testosterone running everywhere. But we have to deal with them because their power will be so profoundly big in this part of the world. So here we are running to Cornwall to find our security in Asia. (laughs) I mean, really. We are at odds with our geography and we have lost our way. You'd expect that governments of all persuasions would take into account perspectives from everywhere, but Scott Morrison and Peter Dutton were quick to ridicule Keating's response and using it to whip up a racist frenzy against the Labor Party and accuse Anthony Albanese of siding with China. This is a time when a more sophisticated approach with China needs to be taken, but we're not going to get this from this government, who seem to be happy to stoke fear and loathing within the electorate and damage international relationships at any cost. It's the same argument since 1854. They just changed the the angle of it. That is, the Chinese wish to invade, they wish to take over, they want to destroy our way of life, they can't be trusted. And this is despite the fact that Chinese immigration to this country has been, for the vastly most part, a very positive and great thing. Uh, the Chinese community in Australia has contributed a lot to modern Australian living. Yes, there's been the odd 
rat bag, but that's called being human. The Chinese community, like every community who's come and enriched Australia, has given far more benefits to the country than, than they've taken. Of course, you do get the section of the polity who want to try and argue that the Chinese are some kind of nefarious, uh, inscrutable. They don't quite use the word evil, that they're different to us. The term used in some academia is otherism, that every single Chinese person is an agent of influence, that every single piece of business done in Australia is necessarily bad. Now, there's certainly targeted Chinese government plans that happen in Australia, but that Australia has plans in other countries too. There's certainly a sense in which China can be a less friendly ally than we would like, but that's international relations, particularly international relations with a particularly inept prime minister as we have now. And of course, all governments need to be held to account, all governments need to be, and all governments do things that we don't agree with. This doesn't mean that pork eating isn't right. China is the emerging superpower. It's probably a reluctant one in many ways, although that, that depends on the leader. It's balancing its own geopolitical ideas with other geopolitical ideas. And yes, we don't agree with everything. The whole Taiwanese question, the whole Tibetan question, these are issues that need to be resolved in peaceful and productive ways. But that doesn't mean to say you ignore the superpower, particularly the superpower. And this was Keating's point, and this has been his point since at least 1983, his point that we shouldn't be looking to Europe on the other side of the world. We should be good neighbours to this area of the world that we're in. And of course, he's absolutely right. And that doesn't mean that we can't criticise elements of Chinese policy. Well, Morrison and Dutton, they are displaying a different shade of the racist yellow peril trope, and that's from the early 1900s. And it's also that reds under the bed rhetoric. They're not using the same words, but it's the same rhetoric. It's also the case that if someone in public life offers perspectives that are different to theirs and call out their incompetence in international affairs, they play the racist card. So Morrison and Dutton, they're a little bit like tin pot racists who are happy to stir up anti-China sentiment for electoral gain. Dutton showed this when he attacked China and suggested that they caused the coronavirus outbreak in late 2019. And Morrison's also got form on this, going back all the way to 2010 when he wanted to stir up anti-Islam sentiment in the community for political gain. Whenever racism is to be found in Australia, it seems like the modern Liberal Party are never too far behind. And, and Morrison is usually the architect of these sort of problems. Yeah, if he was a better foreign representative of Australia, we wouldn't have these issues. And part of it is because he wants to use the dog whistle. Now, the dog whistle works to an extent, but I think one of the things we've seen amongst younger people, and it's probably not 100%, but it's a lot more than when we were growing up, is a much lower tolerance towards racism. We live in a society of young people who just can't conceive why you'd be racist, let alone react to these types of dog whistles. He's out of touch. Now, that generation, and we'll call it the Thunberg generation, votes in the next election and the election after. 
I know that he's hoping to catch what he sees as the middle, but there's enough coming through because it's that 2000 baby boom that we had too that is going to cause, I think, some kind of surge. Now, I haven't looked closely enough at the demographics to see if that surge will be dissipated through the country and not have that much of an effect. But certainly there's this bump in birth from about 98 through to about 2002 where the birth rate jumps, not like the one from uh, 45 through to 62, but still it's a generation that is a bit more aware of things than the generations before. And there's also been a dramatic shift in that relationship between Australia and China over the past few years. And, for example, Morrison was a great supporter of China and the Belt and Road initiatives back in 2019. That's only two and a half years before. But as soon as Daniel Andrews, the Victoria Premier, took up some of those initiatives, Morrison decided that this was an opportunity that he could use for political advantage. And then he claimed that he never supported the Belt and Road initiatives in the first place. And then he created further problems by that indirect accusation against China of causing the coronavirus outbreak. Australia is always going to lose out if it has a fight with China. Now, it shouldn't be like this, but that's the way that international affairs operates. And Australia is being punished economically because of Morrison's foolishness. And it seems like the media has followed on from this belligerence. And China is always reported as aggressive. It's a threat, overreach, military ambitions. There's a crisis, coercion assertiveness. And these are just all words that I picked up from the radio yesterday over a three-hour period. And it seems like there's nothing positive about China in the media, as if to suggest that nothing ever that's good comes out of China. And as you mentioned before, China does have problems. Every country's got problems. It's got problems with human rights abuses. It's got an aggressive political leadership. It does have military ambitions. But Australia's got its own human rights problems with the treatment of Indigenous people. People who are on the margins are being treated appallingly by this government. It's got the soft white underbelly of casual racism. Mm. But it, it seems that if there's anyone out there that offers something different to the narrative running by this government and by the mainstream media, and Paul Keating's analysis on China is closer to what the reality actually is compared to the rubbish that Scott Morrison is putting out, but if you do anything that's different or counter to the narrative running in the government or the mainstream media, well, you're labelled as a traitor and it's weaponised against the Labor Party. Yeah. You know, and if we were to look at problems with the Chinese in, in Australia, one of the people we could look at is Gladys Liu, whose dealings with the Chinese government were never fully exposed. Uh, she's almost certainly some kind of agent of influence for the Chinese government. Whether they want her to be or not is another question altogether. And there was enough evidence to suggest that she warranted investigation. Whether there's enough evidence to go further than an investigation, I obviously, I don't know. But certainly, you have to be very careful, I think, if you're going to accuse one side of doing things when you are doing them. Now, I we do know that certain Labor members have had money paid to them from Chinese billionaires. Probably most famously was uh, Sam Dastayari. And Dastayari uh, declared the money and resigned his position over $1,600. Small beer compared to the scandals that have since run. 
And after the National Press Club address by Paul Keating, there were, there were many people that were commenting, well, how good is it to see Paul Keating back on the national stage again? And, and of course, there would be many other people saying the exact opposite to that, including many ministers in the federal government. And many other people were also pointing out that Australia doesn't have great prime ministers anymore. And that's certainly the case when you look at the more recent prime ministers. But in my opinion, and this is just my opinion, other people might disagree with this, but Paul Keating was one of Australia's greatest Prime Ministers. He's a thinker, he had grand ambitions for the country, he still does. He wanted to reform Australia in a positive way. And preceding Paul Keating, well, we had Bob Hawke. And then before that, eight years before Bob Hawke, we had Gough Whitlam. Now, I don't want to get too nostalgic about these leaders, but these were three of Australia's greatest Prime Ministers. and They were leaders within a two-decade period, and that's probably still within the memory of many people that look at politics today. But that's unusual to have a batch of three great Prime Ministers in such a short period of time. And most Australian Prime Ministers have actually been quite mediocre, especially the past two or three. If you look at it, Labor, you could. There's an argument that Labor has had seven excellent prime ministers in a row: Curtin, Chifley, Whitlam, Hawke, Keating, Rudd, Gillard. Now I know that that's separated by sixty years, but you don't get that run from the Liberal side. So from '49, Menzies, Holt was good but not great. Gorton had potential. McMahon was despised. Fraser shattered his credibility on day one. Howard was substantial. Fraser and Howard were substantial, I'll give you that. And a lot of people think that Howard was a great prime minister, so we'll put him in the list there because after Howard, Abbott, Turnbull, Morrison. It's funny how Labor hasn't had that run of mediocrity. Some of its opposition leaders weren't great, but then they don't win the election. Fair or unfair, Labor needs to have inspiring large figures to win. They can't get by with the everyman. They can't get by with... They've got to have Whitlam's or Keating's or Hawke's or Chifley's. Now, of course, Keating loses, Chifley loses, but they lost at the end of very long terms of government. Gillard... No, she doesn't lose the election, does she? She gets rolled. So Rudd loses... But again, there are reasons for that. The party itself was devolving. But what he did with the GFC puts him into the greats. You know, maybe not as great as others, but certainly that government saved Australia from economic destruction. It's interesting. Oh, well, I guess what people are suggesting is that they want strong leadership. They want good leadership. And for me, Paul Keating presented as an intellectual on a stage and people want to hear the good ideas. People want to see the good ideas into the future. And we're just not getting that with the current federal leadership. And also with all of these attacks on what Paul Keating was saying about geopolitical interests and China, and I'm not suggesting that everyone just has to accept what Paul Keating is saying, but it's almost like we've lost this art of listening, that there's this anti-intellectual sentiment that exists within Australian politics, that if you disagree with whatever is being said by the federal government, well, you are going to be attacked. And and during the week, I was thinking about Mark Twain when he visited Australia back in 1895, that he did remark that when he'd go around and visit different households or different locations, he didn't see many books on bookshelves. And he found that Australia would just seem to be this very incurious sort of place. And he talked about the paralysis of intellect when he was describing how on earth could New South Wales and Victoria have 
different track gauges for their trains. And if you were travelling at that time from Sydney to Melbourne, you'd have to get off the train at Albury and get onto a different one to travel on to Melbourne because they had different track gauges. And that was a system that existed up until about 40 years ago as well. So it's like this paralysis of intellect or paucity of intellect that Mark Twain was talking about in 1895. It's still influencing politics in Australia. And it's, it seems like it's a very hard habit to break, especially for conservative politicians. I just want to put in a footnote on the different train gauges. What we tend to forget is that it was six different governments with six different budgets and ability to and needs. So that's why the gauges are different. It is stupid and frustrating, but it wasn't as stupid and frustrating as it seemed. And it's part of the reason that federation was decided to be a good idea because this type of stuff would stop. You could put in national standards rather than state standards. But yeah, for Mark Twain to have to wait two hours at Albury after a nine or ten hour train trip from Sydney, I get his frustration. (laughs) The other thing too, which he probably didn't see, I I will come back to the point because I think in a sense he's right, is that Australia has this really full and rich literature. It's not just Henry Lawson and Banjo Patterson. We have later on down the track, Patrick White wins the Nobel Prize for Literature, for example. Australia has an incredible literary tradition, but here's the rub. Not enough people read it. (laughs) Not enough people are aware of it. And it's something that we should really be aware of. We really do have some of the best novelists. And I was going to say in the world, but I don't want the cultural cringe to come in. It doesn't have to match the world. It just has to tell Australian stories. And this is where Twain was right. Australians aren't terribly interested in reading their own stories and they're not terribly interested in thinking about stuff. And this is how we get in the the mess we're in today. We have a media that tells us what to do. One of the anti-vax arguments is that, oh, it's teaching Australia to be a compliant society. And I'm thinking we're the most compliant society in the world. <laughs> I, I don't think that's a, an argument that sustains You're listening to New Politics. You can subscribe to us on Apple or Google Podcasts, listen through SoundCloud, Spotify and Amazon Audible, or find us at newpolitics.com.au. And you can now follow us at Patreon. We're getting a clearer picture of strategies for the next election, even though it's yet to be called and it's not likely to be held for at least another four months. We can see that Morrison is going to use the same strategies that he's used over the past three years, strongly to deny everything that he said in the past, lie about what he is or who he is, lie about the Labor Party and continue with the same marketing tricks that he used in the 2019 federal election. Already this week, we've seen Morrison getting a haircut, doing a dance. He's been making gnocchi. He stole a chip from a young girl's lunch. He made breakfast for some diggers on Remembrance Day, and he even fed a sausage to a dog. And this is all in one week. So, David, I'm not sure how I'm going to put up with this for another six months. But he's also added another slogan, and that's the idea that Labor wants to tell you what to do. 
But this is coming from a government that tells everyone what to do. It's telling social security recipients to use a cashless welfare card. It's telling people to pay back debts they didn't owe through robo-debt. It wants to tell students what type of history they should learn at school and sing the national anthem. It wants to tell people who are terminally ill that they haven't got the right to end their life. It wants to tell people with disabilities that they need to go back into the workforce immediately. This is a government who wants to tell everyone what to do, and now they're claiming, no, it's the Labor Party. They're the ones who are telling everyone else what to do. This is peak Scott Morrison. We keep saying that the electorate deserves better than what they're being served up by this charlatan, but we're just not going to get it, are we, David? No, it doesn't want to tell billionaires what to do. It wants billionaires to live a tax-free life with no regulation. But for normal, ordinary working people, for people who aren't of the same background, for people who aren't privileged, yes, it wants to tell us what to do. It's a government that isn't interested in the well-being of the general public, just the well-being of money, just the well-being of privilege. It hates helping people. It resents moving up through classes. It shrunk the middle class because the middle class is problematic. All the great social movements came out of the middle class because ultimately they were the ones with the time and the money to be able to do things. So you close off the big money, shrink the middle class and put everybody hopefully to where they are too busy and too broke to be able to do very much. The remaining middle class are too scared of losing their position. So either do nothing or work for the system. It's quite transparent once you see it. Now, I don't think there's this overarching conspiracy. I think this is just a, even a byproduct of the other strategies. It has worked in the short term. Whether it'll work in the long term, I don't know. Well, the problem for me is that these people are irrelevant to Australia's future, but they are the ones that are actually in power at the moment. They want to make Australia the dumb country. It's almost like they have no ambitions for Australia at all. They just want more of the same corruption, the low-level leadership that we've had over the past eight years. Now, we talked about that anti-intellectual strand in Australian politics before, that if you're smart and clever, well, you must be up yourself or you're a snob. These leaders, they could choose to be smart or they could choose to be dumb, but they actually choose to be deliberately stupid. And there's not that many leaders around the world that have such low ambitions for their own country. But Scott Morrison now has a severe trust problem, but now he's inserting Albanese and China into his responses to questions from the media and a bit of racism and xenophobia thrown in there. And also that all new slogan, Labor is telling you what to do. But when a world leader and and a former prime minister call you a liar, and whether that's true or not, you must be concerned that that will stick. Well, no, but I don't see see Anthony Albanese backed in the Chinese government and a number of others and having a crack at me as well. I mean, that's up for him. But we're doing it not by telling them what to do and taxes. That's the Labor way. Not governments getting together and telling everybody what to do. That's Labor's approach. This, for me, is going to be an entirely boring strategy. Not talk about the future, not talk about all the issues that, or the many challenges that Australia is facing that need to be addressed, not talking about anything, dragging everyone else into the mud. And it's a strategy, as you suggested, well, it might not work this time around, but it has worked in the past and it did win the 2019 election for the Liberal Party and for Scott Morrison. But overall, if this type of strategy continues, well, Australia's going to be the loser out of all of this. They're not interested in, in, in Australia winning. They're interested in people who don't care about the country winning. We need a government with vision. And 
I didn't say this before and I should have and I add it now because I know that there'll be at least staff members watching. The alternative government we have, whether it is purely Labor or Labor made up with progressive independence, I think has very much to be the potential to be another great party and another great government for Australia. I, I do think we can't know till it happens, of course, <laughs> but the potential is there, which is why I'm not calling it for them, but I'm favouring that side of politics. Anyway, Hugh Rimmington, and one of Australia's better journalists, I think that's very fair to say, pointed out that he was talking to some lady and she said that uh, ScoMo seems like a good bloke and Albo seems snarky. And Hugh said, elections are decided by the unengaged. And that's sad, but true. But I guess we also have to take into account that there's a lot of unengaged people that will have the reverse idea about that as well. That So it's not like everyone that's unengaged in the political process will vote for the coalition. It just doesn't work like that. Like you get a balance of, of those people. So I did see that comment from Hugh Remington. I don't necessarily agree with it. Unengaged voters will vote for all sorts of people. So I think there's a bit more that needs to be explored there. They do tend to prefer the status quo, though. While people are comfortable, and this is the great mistake of Marx, we never had the revolution because Western society was able to remain comfortable. And while you're comfortable and you can get hold of food and you're pretty warm in, in winter and cool in summer, there's less reason to rise up. So, yeah, and, and you're right, though. There are people who look at Morrison and say, oh, he's an idiot without really knowing why, but just the way he presents, just the way that the smug look on his face and vote against him. So hopefully that all balances out in the end and we get a result that is the result that Australia really should have, which is a good result, not just the usual bunch of crooks and con artists ripping it up for themselves. Well, I'm not necessarily after a revolution. I'm just after good government and we just haven't had that for the past eight years, I'm afraid. But we had another example of that during the week. And instead of the government releasing a policy or something substantial, Scott Morrison has released another slogan. So in addition to Labor telling everyone what to do, they've also released another three-word slogan and it's the can-do capitalism slogan. Now, I'm not sure exactly what can-do capitalism actually is, but Scott Morrison has decided that can-do capitalism is going to make Australia reach its net zero emissions target by 2050. There'll be no taxes, no government intervention. And I guess when he's talking about this sort of thing, he's referring to the robber baron class in big industries such as Gina Reinhart, Andrew Forrest, Jerry Harvey, all of these sort of people. And releasing this can-do formula is somehow going to solve all of our problems. And this is at a time when Neoliberalism and unfettered capitalism, is, it's being reconsidered globally. The world economies are going through major change, but Morrison wants to go back to the old way of thinking that never really worked for people anyway. And, and again, at a time when we need the big ideas and we need the big thinkers, all we're getting from Scott Morrison and the Liberal National Government is reactionary thinking and idiotic three-word slogans. It's really a government for those people in the electorate who are just not paying attention. It goes back to the point about the unengaged, you know. You see, oh, he can't be a bad bloke. Look at him. Look at him uh, cooking sausages for veterans. This is a man who has cut veteran services to the bone. I get really upset because I, we, we go down this, and it's an American path of revering our veterans, but 
then we don't do anything to help them. Veteran suicide remains a worrying high. PTSD treatment. Now, I'll be fair, they didn't start it, and no government has been terribly good at what you do with uh, returned soldiers. Some have been better than others. But the hypocrisy of going to an RSL, you know, pretending that he cares, is breathtaking in its audacity, and I'm surprised the branch allowed him. Of course, there are less veterans in the RSL through natural attrition, and that's sad, but it's also inevitable. But I wonder how many World War One or World War Two veterans would have put up with him in an RSL or in a ex-servicemen's club or even just face-to-face, and I suspect very few. Well, at least they received that free breakfast, and even the dog got a sausage as well, <laughs> so things are looking up. Yeah, but also looking at the looking at some of the media responses and some of the way that media is interacting with politics, I noticed that Anthony Albanese has started taking journalists to task, and it's about bloody time. And he suggested that they should just stop repeating government talking points and stop running the media agenda based on what Scott Morrison says. Mr. Albanese, the Prime Minister says that he's backing Australian choices, not putting mandates on them and telling them what to do. Are you proud? of Labor's record on things like quotas and mandates on everything from getting women in. That's just nonsense. It, well, that's a nonsense question with respect. Uh, I'm not sure where you're from. But Sydney Morning Herald. Sydney Morning Herald. Well, where was the mandate? A question back that journalists need to ask this bloke uh, when he's standing up and spouting this nonsense, which then is somehow repeated. Somehow repeated. What the Prime Minister has said is that somehow there's a mandate on the electric vehicle policy that we took to the election in 2019. There was no mandate. There was no uh, forcing people to give up their utes. That was their absolute nonsense. And it should be called out. And it shouldn't be repeated by serious journalists. Serious journalists need to look at this nonsense and call it out for what it is. And, and not repeat it with slight variations. Because the fact is that what we are saying on electric vehicles is we'll lower the price. We'll lower the price of electric vehicles by removing the fringe benefits tax and by re- removing excise. This government have nothing that they announced yesterday that would lower the price. There have never been mandates. There have never been any attempt by any government to, wake, to take away choice that private individuals would make. Now, we've mentioned this before in previous podcast episodes, that Labor is not just up against the Liberal National Parties and Scott Morrison at the next election. They're also up against the media. And this isn't an issue that can't be overcome, but it's about time Albanese started putting the media in its place. We've got appalling standards of journalism in this country, but Albanese speaking out like this, he wouldn't have done it several months ago. And the fact that Labor shadow ministers are now openly calling Scott Morrison a liar... That, to me, suggests that they've got internal polling that indicating that Scott Morrison is on the nose and the Liberal National Parties are on the nose as well, and they should be quite confident about their chances at the next federal election. Now, it doesn't mean they'll win the next election, but they must be quietly confident about their chances of winning the next federal election. Yeah. To go back to Keating for just a second, one of the things that I liked about Keating, and there was a bit of stuff I didn't like about Keating, one of the stuff I did is that he treated 
senior journalists with absolute contempt. <laughs> they went in expecting to be courted and fated and, and Keating would call them every name under the sun, show why they were wrong in their analysis, give them another verbal smacking and send them on their way. Serious, inverted commas, journalists like Richard Carlton had no chance against the sharp intellect of Paul Keating, Laurie Oakes. Now, I'm not saying that these were bad journalists by any standard. Often they did some very good work. But Keating held them to account as much as they held him to account. And I think this, at least from a personal level, this is a great strategy from Albanese. I think instead of accepting whatever the Murdoch line is or whatever the Fairfax line is or whatever the Stokes line is, throwing it back at them and saying, you know, ask me better questions... Bob Hawke was a little bit more conciliatory, although he got stuck into Richard Carlton once over some question of integrity of Bob. That's a stupid question, I think was the quote. <laughs> but yeah, Keating didn't care. And of course, this may have cost him the election, but he went down with his character intact. He, he never kowtowed. And that, to me, seems to be a better way of going. And of course, he wins the 93 election with a press that was very much on John Hewson's side till he can't explain the GST. And then the press realized they might be on a, a vote loser here. And turns out they were right with that. Several years ago, Anthony Albanese did say that complaining about the media is a little bit like complaining about the referee. And of course, sure. there's always going to be a link between sport and politics. But he suggested that if you complain to the referee, well, it's, they're just not going to overturn that decision. And that's absolutely correct. But it doesn't matter what the sport is, whether it's football or cricket or netball, every player will question the umpire's decision. You complain about it. You whinge about it. You make sure that they know that they've made a bad decision. And I think that's what... Anthony Albanese should be doing as well. If the journalist asks a stupid question, well, call them out. It's not going to change the nature of their question or it's not going to cause them to ask a different question. But if it's a silly question, call it out. The next time they attempt to ask a silly question, well, they're not just going to ask that. And I think this is a good strategy for Albanese and it shows that there's a bit more character coming through. There's a bit more resistance to the absolute stupidity that's coming out from the media. And, and it's about time he started doing this. Yeah, and we've been critical of him in the past, but when always, always, always credit where it's due. I don't know at this point it would be enough for me to say, yes, they're definitely going to win the election using this strategy because there's too many other factors in play, not least the amount of cheating that's going to go on, the pork barreling, the deceptive statements, the whole thing. But actually standing up and defending yourself for a change rather than saying, well, that's just the way it is and we've got to live with it, I think helps. And it might enrage media owners, but Fairfax Media with Channel 9 chaired by Peter Costello is never going to support you for very long. Murdoch is never going to support a progressive government for very long. Stokes is never going to support a progressive government. And the two ways of doing it is to pretend that you're not progressive and lose your base, or to just say, this is what we are, and go down swinging. And I think the electorate does admire that. You know, the, the old Australian getting a go, which Morrison tried to co-opt, and it ended up badly because he's not a great communicator. Having a go and failing counts a lot more than not having a go and failing. 
That's it for this new politics podcast. Thanks for listening in. If you'd like to support our style of journalism and commentary, please make a donation at our website at newpolitics.com.au. We don't beg, plead, beseech or gaslight you about journalism coming to an end. We just keep it very, very simple. If you like what we do, please send some support our way. It helps keep our commitment to independent journalism ticking along. I'm Eddie Djokovic. Thanks for listening in and it's goodbye to our listeners. I'm David Lewis. We'll see you next time.